Good morning, church. We are continuing our series titled Relational Wisdom. Do you need wisdom today? The truth is, we are all in relationships that require a little bit of wisdom, don't they? See, we have been studying selected scriptures from the book of Proverbs to help us to apply wisdom to our everyday relationships. But what is wisdom? Wisdom is skill in living. Wisdom isn't just knowing what to do, but it's knowing how to do it, when to do it, and why you do it. Sometimes we get knowledge and wisdom mixed up. You see, to have knowledge means that you know a lot of information. You can be the smallest person in this room, but lack wisdom. See, wisdom means that you know how to live life. See, in the Bible, having wisdom is always in line with having character. See, James puts it this way in his, in his, in his epistle. He says this in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of God. Does that describe you today? Pure, peaceable, gentle, impartial, sincere. See, we need relationships. We need wisdom for our relationships at home, in our workplaces, in the community, while we're driving down 50 and someone cuts you over. See, does Genesis 3, what I just read, does it describe the way you handle conflict? See, the truth is we were made for relationships. See, God in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he said it is, it is not good for man to be alone. See, that statement is, has more to do with God's design for us as human beings does it have to do with our neediness. See, God created us to be relational beings because he created us in his image. God is a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lived in community with each other. Perfect wisdom, perfect love for all of eternity. See, Genesis 2 is not just speaking of Adam's loneliness, but his human completeness, his human nature. You see, to be human is to be in a relationship, relationship with God and with each other. But if we're honest with ourselves, relationships are hard. The relationships in our lives are less than perfect. They require work, time, effort, and wisdom. Because soon after Genesis 2 ends, Genesis 3 begins, and sin enters our world. And that brings all sorts of frustration, confusion, conflict in our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. 
See, the title for today's sermon is Wisdom Through Conflict. Because I'm convinced that God uses the relational conflicts in our lives to do his work of sanctification. To make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. You you see, our desire in conflict is that God would change everybody else. God, change my spouse. Change my children. Change my boss. But when have you point the finger at yourself and, and, and your prayers have turned inwardly to God, change me. Teach me how I can love, how I can bring you glory, how I can serve. Show me what you're doing in the midst of this conflict. You see, conflict in our lives are bound to happen. You probably had one on your way to church this morning. The question is not how we get rid of the conflict. The question is, what is God doing in us through conflict? See, in Genesis 3, man and woman, they engage in conflict. They engage in accusation and and slander. Then in Genesis 4, it gets worse. A man murders his brother. See, you don't have to re-fall into the Bible to realize and to notice that relationships are messy. And we don't have to uh, follow you guys around with a camera to realize that your relationship is messy. See, I'll be the first to confess that we need wisdom from above. And I want to say up front, when I talk about conflict and how to resolve conflict, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about physical and emotional abuse. I'm talking about the, the day-to-day, the minor day-to-day conflicts that we encounter, the offenses we encounter. So how do you tend to handle conflict? Do you tend to avoid it altogether? You get out of Dodge? You hide? You see your boss that way, so you go around the corner? Do you see it as being wrong or, or dangerous? Or maybe you're more of a fighter. You're ready to just duke it out. You, your, your inner lawyer comes out. You're ready to attack at all costs. You're ready to win no matter the cost. You're not worried about anyone else's feelings but your own. You're not caring if it would damage the relationship or not. Or maybe you're a peacemaker. Do you seek to find mutual agreement in the midst of conflict? You don't avoid it, you don't attack, but maybe you pursue peace. You see, the book of Proverbs speaks to each of these responses. See, the goal in this morning is to understand how our relational conflicts are actually an opportunity for us to grow in godliness, to grow in wisdom. This is where we're going today. So lesson one, God uses conflict to reveal our hearts. And lesson two, conflict is an opportunity to choose wisdom. So let's go to lesson one. God uses conflict to reveal our hearts. You see, conflict has a way of revealing what we truly desire, what we really want, what we value, our goals, our opinions in life. Here's a working definition of conflict. Conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. It's when you come home from a long day of work 
and you plan to just come up and put your feet up on the recliner, but your wife hands you that honey to-do list, right? Someone, someone know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Proverbs says that it's, it's better to live in the attic of a house than to live in a house with a quarrelsome woman. But, but conflict is, is when you are working hard at work, but everyone else is being lazy. Your coworkers are being lazy and distracting and inappropriate. What do you do? It's when all the boys in the house, they don't put down the taller seat. See, man, you're not off the hook either, right? Or it's when your roommates leave the dishes for you to clean. You ever been there? See, the relational conflicts we experience on a daily basis are actually opportunities for us, for us to look into our hearts, to see what we desire. Take a look at Proverbs 28:25. It says, a greedy man stares up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. So up front, remember, Proverbs are not promises to hold on to, but they're principles. They are not some secret formula for you to live successful lives. See, Proverbs are a way that we get to see up front what wisdom looks like. See, the principle here is a person who never, is never content. He always wants more. He's willing to get into conflict to get it. He's staring it up. So greed starts in the heart. Or Proverbs 10, 12, it says, hatred stares up conflict but love covers all offenses. Where does hatred come from? What do, these, what do these Proverbs have in common? They all point into the heart. You see, in our hearts come all forms of greed, the desires for more, no matter the cause. You say hatred flows from the heart. If, if we're not careful, our strong dislike of another person can grow into hatred, quickly making enemies and not friends. These desires flow from the heart. See, some desires we have are clearly wrong, such as lust and greed and murder. But some desires are not wrong, such as peace and quiet, respectful children, a loving spouse, to have more time with your grandkids, success at work, and spiritual growth. These things are good desires, and we can pursue them with wisdom. See, the root cause of our conflict is unmet desires. Jesus' brother says it this way. He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spit it on your passions. So what is James saying here? James is, is he's given us two uh, words for desire. So the first word he uses is passions, that your passions are at war within you. That's the word that we get hedonism from. Those are evil desires. For example, if you're, if you're plotting to leave your wife, that's hedonism, that's evil desire. If you're, if you're planning someone else's harm, that's an evil desire. You want people to fail in life. 
Those are evil passions, and they are against God. And then he, and then he uses the this, this second word for desire. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. So you murder. So this desire is, is, is Greek word, epidumeo. It's a good desire. A good desire that gets out of control because you over-desire. You got to have it, no matter the cost. It's when you over-desire a good thing. Like, for instance, if, if you want to come home and you expect dinner to be on the table, right, and a nice ice-cold lemonade, if that's your expectations, you over-desire. What happens if you don't get that? Right? Become angry and bitter. You start a quarrel. You fight. Or maybe you have a desire to get married. And you're looking around, it's like, God, there's no women and there's no men to marry. Right? If you lit that, if you, if you lit that fluster, guess what? You become angry at God. Hatred begins to stir up in your heart. Examine your relational conflicts this week. What does it reveal about your heart and what you truly worship? What do you desire but you cannot obtain? What are you demanding from the people around you? Where are you saying, like Adam, this woman you gave me? Right? These children you gave me. This job you gave me. These co-workers you gave me. Where are you shaking your fist at God? You see, do you use language as if I need this or I deserve this? You see, the more we want something, the more we think that we need it and deserve it. And the more we are entitled to something, the more convinced we are that we cannot be happy and fulfilled until we obtain it. See, you work hard all day long. Don't you deserve to come home to some peace and quiet? You've been parenting all day long. You put the kids to bed. How dare them come out of their room, right? (laughs) How dare they come out of the room? Bedtime's 8.30, I got everyone in bed. I don't parent after nine o'clock, right? (laughs) Is that your philosophy? But what is going on inside of our hearts? You cleaned the whole house, you scrubbed everything down, and no one says thank you. You work hard at dinner, it's hot and ready, and everyone's complaining. Everyone's ungrateful. See, what is going on in our hearts when we experience these unmet desires? You see, through conflict and strife, God is revealing what we are placing our hope in. Whether it's acceptance at work or or comfort at home or respect in the workplace, there are many ways we desire these things and they quickly become elevated above God. You see, it's reasonable to want to spend more time with your grandchildren. It's reasonable for a mother to want to work or be at home with her new baby. These desires are good, but when they turn into demands that must be met, that's when they become earthly. When we seek to manipulate the people around us to get what we want, it reveals the very condition of our hearts. Guys, when God reveals our hearts through our conflict, the only thing that's left for us to do is to repent, to turn away from whatever we placed at the center of our hearts and put Jesus in his rightful place. 
Let him rule as king of kings and lord of lords in our hearts. We should turn away from this earthly wisdom and turn towards wisdom from above. Let's go to lesson two. Lesson two, conflict is an opportunity to choose wisdom. Conflict is an opportunity for us to choose wisdom. Here's the definition of wisdom for you guys taking notes. The God-given ability to faithfully apply truth to everyday life. The God-given ability to faithfully apply truth to everyday life. So the conflicts in our life present us with unique opportunities to choose wisdom, to choose the path of wisdom. Remember, wisdom is a journey. It's not a destination that we just park at. It's a path to take. So let's take the path of wisdom. Let's, let's choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So let's live under reverence and respect for God. Let's honor him. Let's bring him glory as we serve others. And God works in our hearts to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. You see, to demonstrate the love of Christ in the midst of conflict with the people in our relationships is actually a witness to the gospel. We are able to reveal the gospel to the people that just hurt us, who offended us. You see, the truth is our homes and our workplaces, it feels like a war zone, don't they? But in Christ, we have peace on earth. You see, Jesus took on the greatest conflict of all. What's the greatest conflict of all? It's, it's the conflict of all is sin and death. So Jesus left heaven to come down to earth to enter into our fallen world. And he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never shook his fist at God. He did it perfectly up until dying on the cross for our sin. You see, through faith in Jesus, we can receive peace from God. All of our sins are forgiven. And a new heart filled with good desires, desires to, to love God and to love each other. That's good news. Then we have peace in our hearts. We have peace with God. You see, the bad news is that every single one of us was enemies of God, deserving his wrath. But the good news is that God is rich in mercy, that he sent his son to take your place on that cross. Jesus took the very wrath of God to set you free. It's by grace you have been saved. It is not by your works of righteousness, but it's on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it gets even better. You see, that righteousness of Jesus Christ is now imputed to you. It's given to you freely. You did nothing to earn it. He's just given it to you freely. So we have the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. There means God has nothing against you. He's not holding any grudge against you. He's not bringing up a list of sins and saying, here's proof. No, that's not what God's doing. He loves us. Guess what? God would never judge your sins ever again. You know why? Because he judged it at the cross. He says, you are forgiven. You are righteous. You are redeemed. 
You see, your church attendance did not give you good points with God. You see, your good works cannot give you peace with God. See, your peace from God is through Christ. It's secured. You can have confidence right now today that you have the very peace of God and you have peace with God. Because Jesus paid it all on that cross. See, for all of us, all of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, his spirit is inside of you and you have the very peace of God. Do you believe that? If you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian, let me ask you, what is your peace? What is your peace? Do you have peace? To know Jesus is to know peace. And to have Jesus is to have peace. So let me, let me nudge you to receive Jesus as your Savior to turn away from your sin and put your hope in him. And you're going to have peace with God today. That's good news. If you don't know what it means to have peace with God, if you don't know what it, what it means to have a relationship with God, please come see me after the service. I would love to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian and to have peace with God. But church, beloved, you see, it's the peace that we receive from God that empowers us to choose wisdom in the midst of our conflict. This means we can be confrontational. I know confrontation can be scary for us. I get it. It can, be, it can be awkward. It can be scary to approach someone about how they hurt you or how they made you feel, how painful it is. And if we're honest, we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to confront others about their sin. Before I was a pastor, I, I worked up at the Grace Christian School as a middle school Bible teacher, but before that, I used to drive a big box truck around D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, uh, delivering copiers and, and, and technology. And I remember this one day, I was driving in D.C. and um, down this road, and I saw all these people, they were waving, they were trying to get my attention. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? I knew what was going on. And then I heard noises and honks, and I'm like, what is going on? Like everyone, what's everyone's problem today? And then I realized that there were cars coming towards me. I was going the wrong way on a, on a one-way street. Have you ever been there? You see, I quickly realized that the problem wasn't with everyone else. The problem was with me. And why did they warn me? Because maybe they realized the danger that I was putting myself in and the danger that I was putting everyone else in. And they want to stop that from happening. You see, that's what happens when we're confrontational. We, we, we want to do whatever we can. We want to wave down the danger. We want us to, to and guess what I did? I, I turned around quickly, <laughs> right? That's what we want people to do. We want people to turn away from sin. We want people to turn away from foolishness. We want people to turn towards safety. We want people to turn towards peace. We want people to turn towards Jesus. So don't be afraid of confrontation. It's a very act of love. It's a very act of wisdom. When we point our brothers and sisters towards the Lord Jesus Christ, See, Christians, we are called to bear one another's burdens with a spirit of gentleness 
So that's approach each other in wisdom and not with foolishness. Take a look at Proverbs 18.2. It says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And I know what you guys did. You guys had that person in mind that this proverb was talking about. And you want, you want looking inwardly, right? Because what is wisdom? Wisdom takes pleasure in understanding. Wisdom is not quick-tempered, but patient. Wisdom is not looking at your own interests, but to the interests of others. It's, it's putting on the very mind of Christ. It's not saying, what can, what can I, how can I get what I want right here, right now? It's realizing that God is revealing your heart and he's also revealing the person that you're in conflict with. So how can you serve them? How can you be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? You see, when we're engaged in a confrontation, we should not be ready to give an answer until we hear. We should be cautious of our words. Understanding that a soft answer turns away wrath, Proverbs 15.1. Being reminded what Pastor Jamie told us last week, that our, that our words matter, that they are powerful. You see, sometimes choosing wisdom is to overlook an offense. It's not to sweat the small stuff. I wish someone told me that my first year of marriage. <laughs> Man. We got, me and Kelly, we had our new apartment in Baltimore City. And she's excited. She's putting, she's decorating the whole house, putting pictures up. And I'm just like, man, what is going on? I don't want these pictures up. I don't like this furniture. And I remember, uh, we used to have these bigger arguments. And I remember coming to church. I, was, I said, Brady, we got to talk, man. She's putting up these pictures, man. I, don't, I, don't, I, can't, I can't live with these pictures. <laughs> and you know what Brady told me? He says, Akin, you're not going to worry. You're not going to worry about those pictures two years from now. You're not going to worry about those pictures five years from now. That doesn't matter. What matters is loving your wife, caring for her, being excited for her, experiencing the joy of a new home and a new life together. That's what it's about. And I'm going to say that to you, your new marriage. Don't sweat the small stuff. Pick your battles to die on, right? You see, some problems in our, in our lives are severe and harmful that we must address and confront. But how do we choose wisdom and confrontation? Matthew 18, 15 said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. See, this doesn't just apply to church discipline. This, is, this implies to our day-to-day -day conflicts. You see, if you take this verse out of its context, it seems like Jesus is teaching us and telling us to approach someone that has harmed us and give them a list of the things they have done wrong to you. And, you, and you're almost like, you're almost forcing them to admit that they were wrong. But if you look at the context of Matthew 18 and, and the paragraph before, verse 15, you will see that Jesus has just shared this beautiful metaphor about a shepherd that goes after a lost sheep. You see, Matthew 18, 15 is about restoration. It's about, it's, it's about restoring a relationship. It's not like about condemnation. You see, conflict is an opportunity to restore a brother or sister into the fold, to restore a brother and sister into and, and a relationship with God and, and with you. 
See, the Lord has given us his peace so that we can be his peacemakers, to be his imitators. You see, do you remember uh, Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well? The Samaritan woman? Did he go up to her and say, you have committed adultery? No? He didn't do that, right? He says, he didn't say, you need to stop it immediately. Go home and make things right. He graciously approached her and asked her questions to engage her heart and her life. He engaged in a loving conversation. You see, all throughout Scripture, you'll find God indirectly confronting people by asking them questions to get to the heart of the matter. Remember Adam in the garden? Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the forbidden tree? See, the goal of confrontation is to make peace and to restore. See, Paul in, book, in the book of Romans 12, he says, if possible, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, with all men. You see, he uses the word if possible. You see, sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes people are just mad at you and they're just hostile towards you. I get it. I'm there right now. Pray for me. But notice he says, as it depends on you. He says, do what you can do to make things right. Do what you can and leave the rest to the Lord. You see, I know some of you may have some relationships in your life where you have tried to reconcile. Will you pray that the Lord would just soften their hearts, soften your heart, but you won't give up hope? You see, the goal is peace, right? How do we live peaceably with all? We don't fight to win arguments. We fight to win hearts. Stop being a know-it-all. Care more about the relationship than, than getting your point across. Stop having your own secret agenda and pursue love. You see, what does this look like? It's catching yourself before you say something rash and harsh. It's hitting backspace on that email you're about to send or that text message. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's changing your tone. This is choosing wisdom. And it brings glory to God. You see, it changes you and it changes the people around you. See, choose wisdom and, 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 and another, acknowledge ways that, that, that you were in the wrong. Acknowledge ways that you have fallen short in a relationship. Jesus says it this way, take the log out of your eye before you remove the speck from your brothers. See, conflict is an opportunity for God to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ to grow in wisdom. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? It's, it's, it's more about your spiritual growth. It's, it's more about your character. It's more about God's work inside of you than it is for you to live a comfortable life and have everything go the way that you have planned and, and what you have in mind. See, every time we face a conflict, we demonstrate what we truly believe about God. Do you believe that God is gracious, 
compassionate, that he is slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love. That will reflect in the way we react. That will reflect the way that we pursue um, resolving conflicts in our lives. You see, instead of relying upon our own ideas and we, and we deal with people who frustrate us, we can depend on the Lord to give us fresh grace and fresh mercy to do what he calls us to do. We have to breathe in grace, guys. If we're not breathing in God's grace, we're not, we're not able to breathe it out. So breathe in his grace, breathe in his forgiveness, and extend grace and forgiveness. Instead of relying on human wisdom, rely on godly wisdom. The very ability um, to live out the very truth of God in your life. Jesus modeled this perfectly, didn't he? You remember his temptation in the wilderness? Satan comes, there's a stone, Jesus turned the stone into bread. Makes sense, right? You're hungry, you've been in there for 40 days, 40 nights. What did Jesus say? Man should not live by bread alone, but on the very word of God. And then he took Jesus up on a high temple. He says, throw yourself down, because the word of God says that God will save you. Jesus responds. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. That's wisdom. What Satan is telling him to do is demonic. It's earthly wisdom. And then he shows them in the very kingdoms of the earth. He says, if you bow down and worship me, I will, I will give you everything. It's earthly. Jesus says, be God, Satan. Why did Jesus respond that way? Because he is the very wisdom of God. You see, he knew that you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. See, James tells us this. He gives us a picture of godly wisdom and and, and earthly wisdom. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Jesus did not go against the will of God. Jesus lived on the very word of God. Jesus did not put the Lord his God to the test. Jesus worshiped the Lord alone. That's vile practices. But this is a wisdom from above. It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, godly heavenly wisdom is not a destination that we arrive at. It's a journey that God has every Christian on. See, James doesn't give us a list of things to do. He gives us a list of things to be. Christian, this is who you are. You are first pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. You're sincere. Wisdom is being who you already are in Christ. You see, the world says 
Only think about number one. Take care of you first. But Jesus says, extend mercy, extend peace, forgive, love. Don't look at your own interests, but the interests of others. See, conflict is an opportunity for us to show who we are because we are in Christ. You see, wisdom is living out who we are daily in our relationships. Guys, will we make mistakes? Absolutely. You will fall right on your face. But guess what? He gives more grace. See, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself to him. Resist the devil, and he will be gone just like he was with Jesus in the wilderness. And when we receive more grace from God, we can extend that grace to each other. We can choose wisdom. We can grow in wisdom, and we can extend forgiveness and love. You see, during the next moment of conflict in your life, don't go out looking for it. Trust me, they will find you. And when it does, know that the Lord is at work. Know that the Lord is at work in your heart. Revealing your heart, sanctifying you, and forgiving you. And he's giving you opportunities to choose wisdom. But there'll be a day when we see Jesus face to face. And he will say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Jesus, we long for that day. We long for that day where we get to see you face to face. And you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. God, we acknowledge that we are in relationships that are hard. We are in relationships that we are in need of wisdom. God, I pray that we would trust your process, that we would trust your work in us, that you began a good work in us, that you will bring it to completion that we will look more inwardly instead of outwardly. That we will see conflict as an opportunity for you to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. For us to grow in godliness and character, bearing the very fruit of wisdom. God, we need your grace. We need your mercy. Help us to be more peaceable and gentle, sincere, Help us not to avoid the hard conversations, knowing that you are at work. We love you because you first loved us. You have shown us grace upon grace. You have met our deepest need. You have made us right with God. So Jesus, we praise you. I pray that we will praise you now and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.